Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Today, we're going to look at the topic of Spirit of. In the Bible, we see that phrase many, many times. Spirit of, Spirit of God, Spirit of evil, Spirit of envy. There are lots of different kinds of spirits, and it has different meanings. We see it first mentioned in Genesis 1-2. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word spirit is Ravach. It is composed of three letters, like most Hebrew words, Rash, Vav, Chet. And it is translated spirit, or spirit of, 232 times. It is translated wind, about 92 times, breath, 27 times. It is also translated side, mind, blast, vein, air, anger, cool, courage, etc. But basically it has to do with this idea of breath or spirit. Analogizing that word with breath, the spirit, the breath, is gives us some sort of insight into what they mean by spirit. They talk about it moving, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And the word move there is also translated shake or flutter. It has to do with vibration, frequency. Light is frequency. Everything is really frequency. All matter is frequency. And and the vibration of a thing determines its nature. Elements, every element in the periodic table vibrates at a different frequency. And so this idea that the spirit moved something that was void and then there was creation. And so we also know that man was made in the image of God and we assume that some of the frequencies of God, the patterns of God, the DNA of God, so to speak, spiritual DNA, is incorporated in the creation of man because he was made in that image. And so this was done by spirit because God is spirit. If we go on to read in Matthew 14:26, we see, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But that word is a different Greek word than you would normally see translated spirit. That's phantasma. And it has to do with a specter or an apparition. It is not necessarily the spirit that you see most of, t- most of the time in the Bible. In the Greek text, we see pneuma translated spirit over 111 times. For some reason or other, 89 times they decide to translate it ghost. I don't know what the value. They could just say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. But for some reason they do that. Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ... And then they also talk about the human spirit and spirit of evil and just spirit in general. It also is a word that is related to this idea of breath, the spirit or breath of something. And so it does correlate very strongly with that word that we see in the Old Testament. And to say Holy Spirit, is, we're talking about a spirit that is separate, that is unique, that is consecrated. 
in well in John seven thirty nine we see but this spoke he of the Spirit which they that believed on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The word ghost there and the word spirit it's the same word in both places. But for some reason, like I said, they decide to translate it one way one time, one way another, and I, I really don't know the purpose of all that, but it's important to know that they're when they're saying ghost and they're saying spirit, they're using the same word and not that word that is a specter, phantasma. They're talking about that Numos, that spirit, that essence, that breath of God, or the breath of some lesser God, such as evil, because you can have the spirit of evil. In John twenty twenty two, we see, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And again, that's the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus actually walked up and just breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, as if by his very breath coming out of him, somehow that spirit was carried. And of course, we see that all the way back in the beginning of the Bible with the creation, and he breathed on the water, and he breathed into Adam, and Jesus breathed into his disciples, and they became apostles with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4:18, we see the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind, and set at liberty them that were bruised or injured. And this is important that his Spirit of the Lord is supposed to add something, fix something, clarify something, that has been bruised, that has been captured, that has been blinded. And he's going to give sight where they could not see. He's going to give understanding where they... And he's going to do this by the Spirit. He says in John 15, 26, uh, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So this comforter is, it, we see this in Pentecost where this Holy Spirit ascends on them and they are given this extra power. They said they wanted to know when the power was coming and he didn't tell them. Well, evidently some of that power came at Pentecost. And it came with this Spirit where they began to manifest in great ways some of the same miraculous abilities of Christ through the Spirit. Matthew 10.20, it says, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Again, here's the reference to the Father sending the Comforter, and the Comforter giving you words that you speak out of your mouth as Christ breathed on them. Sometimes I wonder if it's not just the Holy Spirit that you're breathing out with the words and the words don't have as much value as the Holy Spirit does when somebody is really receiving the truth and hearing the truth. Because it's a gift to hear the truth. In Romans 8, 2, we see the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Again, this law of the Spirit. This Spirit is, if it is of God, 
it has the law of God written in it. It is in conformity. It is vibrating in the pure essence, white light, whatever you want to call it, of God. It is the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wholeness, the spirit of life. But there are other spirits. There are lots of spirits. There was a war in heaven that we read that is mentioned in the Bible. And this war in heaven divided some spirits who were no longer connected to God, the same as Cain went out of the presence of God. And those spirits don't have the same frequency. There's something different. There's something altered about them, something less than God. And they don't have the source of God, the source of life. They need to devour one another. They get life from some other means. Because they are not just the same as when we were no longer eating of the tree of life. We had to get life from the ground and from the things that we grew. And, and that was absolutely essential because we had no other source of life. And we talk about some of these things in, in our series on quantum. But it's important to understand language is very deceptive. You know, if I say spirit, somebody's going to think one thing and somebody else is going to think another. Words have different meanings and they have different understandings. And we've talked before about how the Bible mentions unicorns and people say, oh, well, we can't believe the Bible because it talks about unicorns and there are no unicorns. Well, the fact is there's thousands of unicorns all over the world. You can go down the zoo and see a unicorn. At the time the Bible was written uh, or translated, and, the, and just a hundred years ago, even today there are books being published that says the return of the unicorn. And if you look on the cover, it's a picture of a rhinoceros. A rhinoceros is a unicorn. Even in the Latin text of the Bible, you'll see the word rhinoceros. And it makes perfectly good sense when you see it in the context of how that word is used. But now when you say unicorn to most people, they think of the horse with a little spike coming out. And of course, that's not what that means because words change their meanings in the context of our language. It doesn't mean the Bible is not true. It means we don't understand the words. The word like Corbin, the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. And we know that the Corbin of the Pharisees, many of you who listen regularly know we've explained Corbin, we have articles up on it, that the Corbin of the Pharisees was a social welfare system set up by Herod in order to obtain the money to build his golden temple in Jerusalem, as well as his temple of Roma. They were all supported by systems of Corbin where you signed up, were registered, and had to pay in according to statutory requirements, and you would receive back social welfare benefits, old age benefits, uh, infirmity ben benefits if you became crippled. They would help take care of you. And everybody was signing up for this. And that was what Paul was talking about when he says, what agreement do we have with him? That's what he was talking about when he references even David. And he says, what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. Because once you signed up, you were in that system. There were riots at that time because people were using the money that was for Corbin for their social welfare for other things. And they were afraid that their social welfare money would be gone. It wouldn't be there for them. And of course, Jesus spoke against that system of Corbin. Corbin wasn't new. Corbin was around from the way back in the early days of the Old Testament. But the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Corbin of Christ made it very much to effect. The word Corbin even is translated treasury in the 
in the Bible. If we see in Matthew 27, 6, And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. When he said the treasury, he actually used the word Corbin. They, that was the treasury. They're really, even though they kept different account of books, it was one treasury. They didn't have different vaults for different money. It was all one treasury. Same as it is in the United States. Your Social Security money is not in a different treasury. It's not. There is no earmarking of funds. That's against the law. Supreme Court's ruled that in 33 and in 1960 that your money that you paid in is in a common fund. There is no earmarking of those funds. So if the government is bankrupt, Social Security is bankrupt. When they talk about, oh, well, we're taking in enough to pay Social Security and it's all safe and don't worry about it, it's a lie, total lie. Anybody who has any sense about bookkeeping in the government, those monies cannot be separated out. Every time you take a dime out of Social Security today, you're increasing the debt. Because all that money is one purse. It is not separated by law. I'm not making it up. I'm not saying something different. They can't change that. Supreme Court has ruled that over and over again. Same way in the time of Jesus Christ. Their treasury. They had another word for treasury. And that was gastaphone. And we see that in Mark 12:41, where it says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And then he talks about the widow who cast in something. The poor widow hath cast more in because she gave all she had. And he explains all that in Mark 12:40 to 43. In Luke 21, 1, we see, And he looked and saw a rich man casting in a gift into the treasury. And then also in John 8:20 we see the same word, this gastophone, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Jesus had already been hailed king. The king was responsible for the treasury. This, The word gastaphone means royal treasury. It is actually the same treasury where they kept the Corbin money, because Corbin means sacrifice, and but you could use the same word, for treasury or the fund or whatever you wanted to call it. Anyway, the point is, is that the Corbin of the Pharisees and the Corbin of Christ were created with different spirits. And we see that way back at the beginning of John, uh, or the beginning of Matthew, when John was speaking. And he was said that until John, people tried to establish the kingdom of God by force. And what they were doing was they were creating a system of Corbin where once you signed up, you had to pay in. That's a different spirit than a system that operates by free will offerings, which you see mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament before they decided to have Saul who forced the first sacrifice. They had free will offerings. That creates a different spirit moving upon the face of society. And... When you go over the other way, another spirit enters in and reshapes society in another image. And the people of society are affected by it. The communities of society are affected by it. The economies of society are affected by it. 
And what we need to do is tell the difference between the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of truth, then the Spirit of righteousness, the Spirit of wisdom, and the Spirit of jealousy and the Philistines and, and evil. Because one spirit giveth life and the other one leads us to death. Actually runs towards death. The one purse runs towards death. How many purses should there be in the government of God? Well, how many people are in the government of God? Because for every person, they have the purse. They are the treasurers of the kingdom. You're supposed to carry, according to Moses, your purse And your money is in your purse. Not in a golden calf. Not in a central treasury. Not in a reserve fund. Not in a gastaphone. If you create a society in which you centralize wealth, you will centralize power. When you centralize power, you corrupt the people. A different spirit is now pulled into society because the people have neglected their responsibility of faith, hope, and charity and living by the perfect law of liberty, and have decided to give some man or some group or agency or corporation power. And when they give them power, they open the door to evil. And so we're going to be talking about that like Job 33.4, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. But we can be remade. In another image, a new breath may come in. A bad breath can come in and make us anew in another way, in another life. And we have to be guarded against that. Because just as there was a war in heaven, just as Cain left the garden, left the pre- went out of the presence of God and created his first city-state, which eventually became Lamech's city-state, in which also Nimrod created his Babylon. And he did this by creating central treasuries that were funded by monies or whatever substance that was compelled from the people by men who exercised authority, like Nimrod, who was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. And he forced the offerings of the people. He invaded countries and, and took their wealth. And this is what Babylon does. It centralizes power. And as it does that, your rights diminish. Your your rights are given to you by God so that you can practice the ways of God. So that the Spirit of God can move through you and in you. You are given dominion for a purpose. You are not to give it to others. You are not to return to the bondage of Egypt where they had all the gold and silver was in a central treasury. You were not to create a golden calf where you put all your gold into a central treasury and you pounded it into the shape of a calf. That would be called the reserve fund, which we've explained many times before. This is what the, this is why all these city states had these golden statues is these were, that was the treasury. That was how they made a vault in those days. They could keep an eye on the gold because there it was and all of a sudden the horn's missing on the bull calf. We know that somebody's robbed the bank. And takes, you know, so they have a guard there. You can't tell if it's in a treasury. You got They don't trust people that much. Unfortunately, Americans do trust people that much, as well as most of the people in the world, because we've all gone whoring after these systems that do not operate on faith, hope, and charity. I had a long talk with somebody just the other day about democracy. 
In a democracy, you have no rights. The United States was not, America was not originally a democracy. It was a republic, much different. Democracy were, were a bad thing in 1927, according to the Army Field Manual. You didn't want a democracy. They were a bad form of government. But by 1945, it had become a good form of government in the same manual. Somebody came in and altered the teaching about the word. They say it's good. They they called what was called evil. Now they call it good. And what a democracy is, is a common purse of rights. Karl Marx loved democracy because he said it led to socialism. And socialism leads to communism. And he knew that once you go down the road to democracies where you have a common purse of rights, where 51% of the people can say, oh, you can't keep your money anymore. Oh, you have to pay money for our school. You have to pay money for our health care. You have to pay money. You have to do it because 51% of the people say so. You've lost just by numerical count of the people because you have one purse of rights. And it, it, the spirit of those people begins to alter the whole society. And you are defeated before you even begin because you've moved from a republic where you have rights that are God-given to a democracy where your rights are, you're allowed to keep your rights if the majority say so. And that is evil. And that is the beginning of evil, once you go over that way. It is more than the camel's nose in the tent. And, of course, everybody has gone that way, and they need to repent. They need to turn around and go the other way. But, unfortunately, most of them are bound up. What should have been for their welfare has become a snare. They are bound up in systems, and they can't simply get out. They're back in Egypt again. They can't get out without permission. And, besides that, they're not ready to get out. Because they're not yet filled with the spirit of life. They say they believe in Jesus. They've heard something about Jesus from ministers. But they have not heard the whole truth of the gospel of the kingdom. They still cannot see the whole thing. They need to have their eyes open. They have been bruised in their understanding. They have become captives. But Christ wants to set you free from that. But in order to be set free from that, you need to have the Spirit of Christ living in you, leading you. The disciples went to Jesus. He taught them and taught them. He taught them privately, not just in parables. And then they still had to receive the Holy Spirit before they could come to full understanding. Right up to the last, they were arguing in themselves, not understanding the kingdom. And people think that I go get baptized I say I accept Jesus, and then suddenly my understanding is so great, I understand everything about Jesus. No, you don't. And some of you, your acceptance of Christ is false. Not that you didn't really mean that you accept Christ, it's that you did not really know Christ. Now, you say you want to accept Christ, great. You say you want to believe in Jesus, great. You say you want to follow Him and make Him Lord, great. Let's see if you can do it. Let's see if you can find out what Jesus was really telling you when he came to preach the gospel to the poor, those who did not understand, those who did not have the fullness of the Spirit. 
He the, those many of those who are brokenhearted. He is preaching deliverance to the captive, recovering the sight of the blind. He's going to give you sight did not have before, and he will do this by disciples and discipling you by others who have begun to see. But it doesn't do any good. Jesus is the best teacher in the world. They still could not get it until they finally were baptized in fire, until they were finally receiving the Holy Spirit burned into their hearts. And so that's where you have to go. And if you have real discipleship, coming from real teachers sent to you by God, they will try to lead you where you will receive the teachings of Christ straight from Christ. You need help with your unbelief. You need help going in that direction, getting closer to the ways of Christ. And you need to look out amongst yourselves and find men who are preaching the wholeness of the gospel. Now, many of you are going to think that I'm a total lunatic and a heretic and and you don't want to listen to me at all. And you you don't want to think that anything that I'm saying is true. And I understand that. But I am bearing witness to what I have seen. And what I know in my heart. And it will speak to some of you. I have sheep out here on the desert. The sheep hear my voice. Even from the top of the mountain. Above the fields. I mean, you know, we're 4,800 feet above sea level. That would be over 800 feet half a mile away, I can yell down to my sheep and they will look up at me. They hear my voice. And if I am preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Christ is already beginning to awaken in you, you're going to hear something. And you're going to be drawn closer to it. But still, it is your journey. It is Christ in you that will really teach you. All you may do is recognize, I understand now. I hear him. I now understand what he is saying because it was already written in you by Christ. I don't believe you can understand this without the Spirit of God already speaking to you. And so that's what we're really up to here is we're just bearing witness. And if that is in you, we're going to tell you things that you're not used to hearing in ways that you're not used to hearing them. And and we'll give you all the time that we have to give you But this is your journey to find out what spirit of are you listening to. Is it the spirit of the Lord? Because we know that evil will come in and try to deceive you. It will tell you lots of truth and twist it a little bit. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you you have to take back your responsibilities. You have to do what Christ actually said. I'm not going to take the uh, gospel of Paul out of the context of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to leave Paul in the gospel of Christ because that's what Paul was teaching. He wasn't teaching a separate gospel. He says that over and over again. We've already uploaded 10 hours of study on Paul and Romans. We've done Colossians and Ephesians as well. And we'll go through all of Paul's teachings and we'll go through them line by line. And you tell me, we'll add the history. We'll add the the definitions in the standard concordance. We're not going to make up new definitions. And we'll put it out there and you ask God in your heart if we are not telling the truth or not. And many of you will think we are lying. And I I pray for you. And those that are beginning to see the truth 
we hope to help and bear witness and lead you together wherever you are at, not out to us all the time, gather together with others of like mind and like spirit and be the children of God, a peculiar people, seeking righteousness in all that you do and all that you believe and say and share with one another. And this should bear fruit if you really are of God. And this, these words are speaking to you as God is speaking to you in your heart. So we'll talk more about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Hi, I'm Brent. I'm a contact minister for the Living Network in Northeast Missouri. You're not the only one out there with the desire to learn the truth. There are people all over the world coming together in faith, hope, and charity. Join us at one of the upcoming gatherings to meet new people, fellowship, work, and play. Whether it's the Fall Burning Bush Festival in Oregon or the Spring Gathering in Northeast Missouri, you'll get all the details when you join the Living Network. Go to hisholychurch.org and click on the network link. Find out what you've been missing. You'll be glad you did. Well, we're talking about the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God and all the other spirits that are not of God. And we started out by laying a premise and an approach to the fact that words often mean something different than we think they mean. And people are misled to believe that they believe in Jesus, believe in God, and they actually don't know God. We talked about the Pharisees who thought they knew Moses and knew God and were sons of God and did not because they did not know Jesus. They did not understand what he was talking about. And it's amazing to me that the modern Christian doesn't understand what he was talking about either. They have completely missed the message of Jesus Christ and really got into a lot of Stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. In the Bible, we see them talking about the Spirit of God over and over again. And they make reference also to the Spirit of Wisdom. They also make reference to the Spirit of the Philistines. And uh, the Spirit of Jealousy. And there is the Spirit of Charity. And there is the Spirit of Selfishness. And there's the spirit of God being the spirit of law, the spirit of truth. And there's the spirit of lawlessness. And when Jesus said that Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect, he was talking about that system of social welfare that we've been writing about called Corbin and what Corbin really was at the time. And there's all kinds of evidence as to what it was. You know, and, and that discovery of the fact that there was a baptism of Herod, whereby you had to pay in your Corbin once you got baptized by Herod and registered by the scribes into this registry. You had to pay in a certain portion of your income every year to the government. And this is how Herod built the temples that he built. The Temple of Jerusalem and the Temple of Roma. They, he built these things with the money that was pouring in because everybody had to pay into the system. That wasn't the way it worked for hundreds of years. Off and on, it kind of went back to those kinds of systems. It certainly went back to those systems when Saul forced the first contribution of the people, the first sacrifice of the people, 
in accordance to what Samuel said would eventually happen, but it actually happened on Saul's watch first. And Samuel said, you've done this foolish thing. You've forced a sacrifice to the people. As a king, as a ruler, as someone who could exercise authority one over the other. It was for a good cause. It was to fight the Philistines. He needed to fund his army, a peace offering, and he forced the people to pay in. You have to pay in, he said. Now, there may have been some resistance, just as there was resistance under David when he tried to institute a draft. He was trying to register everybody so that his soldiers could draft these people into his army. And 20,000 Judeans, or Israelites, died because of that attempt. And he repented of that, just as he repented of building a central temple. But others, Solomon, others came along and, and did it anyway. That was wrong. That was against the wisdom of God. That was against the Spirit of God to do those things. And that's why David was a king after God's own heart, is because he repented of those things. That's why Jesus was not impressed with the temple of Herod, because this was all sin. Even having a king was a sin. It was a rejection of God, and is that not what sin is? Rejecting any aspect of the Spirit of God. Then you become vulnerable to other spirits that are also less than God. You see, God is like white light. If we were to analogize God to something in the universe, we often analogize God or, or use the metaphor of God as light. God is life. You know, and this light is pure white light. All the different wavelengths of light together. Every one of them. Creation. The foundation of all light. God. So, if you, even though the devil is said to be able to appear as an angel of light, can he ever appear with all light? Or just appear like he has all light? Well, that's it. That's the key. Is that the devil cannot appear as that pure white light of God. He can appear as light. He can be deceptive. He can seem very bright. But he is missing some of the wavelengths of pure light. Some of the characteristics. What are those characteristics? One is, is that he doesn't have the patience that God has. He doesn't have the love that God has. He does not want to give you free choice to come to Him. He wants you, He wants you to choose freely to come to Him, but He wants to put you under authority. And this is what we see in the Corbin of the Pharisees. Corbin of the Pharisees was to take care of the needy of society. Good. That's a, that's a thing of light. That's a good thing. To take care of the needy of your society. I mean, mostly you're, your sons and daughters should take care of the needs of their parents. And that's what Corbin was to help with that if the sons and daughters were not there. But they got to the point where the sons and daughters said, Well, I already gave at the temple. My parents can get their help there. Their social security check. That's literally what they were doing. Corbin was a system by which to take care of the elderly as well as the infirm. Like the blind men. Or cripples. 
It was the social welfare. It was something that should have been for your welfare, but became a snare, as David said, and as Paul says. But people take that out of context. as all you have to do is believe in Jesus. You don't have to know what he was talking about. You don't have to know what Paul was really talking about. You just have to believe. You can be as ignorant as a post. And not understand. Not have the Spirit of God in you. But if you believe, you're saved. No, not so. You have to believe in the real Jesus. In the real Spirit of God. The Spirit of truth. In Psalm 76, 12, we see, He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. What's he talking about? In Proverbs 18.14, we see the spirit of man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Are we wounded spirits? Have we had some of the aspect of God's light, life, creation, removed from us? I mean, when we ate of the tree of life, we ate of all the frequencies of life. Because God walked with us, and therefore His Spirit dwelled in us and with us and walked with us. But when we reject the Spirit, the tree of life, and we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and try to decide for ourselves, we become something less than what God created. We are cut off. We are cut off because we will not admit that we disobeyed. That we had to obey. We didn't, we do not take responsibility. We do not repent. It was, the, there was a sin of Adam, but the great sin of Adam was that he did not repent. He blamed everything on the woman, on God, on, on anybody else but himself. And he cut himself off from the spirit of light. He could not even go near the light. He had to go to the darkness. He had to go away from the light. He had to turn away from the light. If he did not want to see the truth. And of course, that's why people go to church. They go to church because they do not want to see the truth. And the churches are full of pastors who do not want to teach them the truth. But want them to believe, surely they will not die. Now, how does this operate? How does this spirit operate? How does it get so much power? Because there are spirits out there in the universe, in creation, that have already turned away from God. This war in heaven, they turned away from God. They have cut themselves off too, just like man cut himself off from the tree of life. They cut themselves off from their source of life. And they did it along much the same lines. The character of God is to be you know, this omnipresence, omni-giving, omni-just, omni-patient creator of life. And so, anything less than that is evil. Is less than good. You know, it's like a lie. Lie has 99% truth. But it has 1% not truth. It's a lie. The whole thing's a lie. Because it doesn't have the whole truth. Anything that is not the whole truth is the foundation of a lie. So the spirit of man 
is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Hmm, that's Proverbs twenty twenty seven. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. You know, we had a recent discussion, brief discussion on one of the groups, Indiana group, about meditation. Meditation is mentioned many times in the Bible. Meditation in the Old Testament, meditation in the New Testament. They actually use more than one word to come up with it. But they're talking about the kingdom of heaven is within. So where do you look for the kingdom of heaven? But within. And the problem is when you go within your own mind, your own belly, as it says here, searching for the truth, for the Lord, for the kingdom. Because we're told to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we're told that the kingdom of heaven is within you. So where should you be looking? Within you. And then people say, well, no, I want to read in the Bible. Well, yeah, well, absolutely. But if you don't have the Spirit of God guiding your eyes, guiding your thoughts, teaching you, discipling you, you can't figure out the Bible. You can read it and read it and read it. If you think you can't, you're eating of the tree of knowledge again. You think you can figure it out on your own, with your own brain. You have to have that spirit operating through you. So the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Sounds almost like an Eastern philosophy. You know, you're going to look for the chakra. Well, the problem is, is that, and that was one of the things that came up, is that they were talking about, someone used a word that is kind of Eastern, not kind of, it is of Eastern philosophies. But, you know, you can actually study Buddha, and he is saying many of the same things that Christ said, and using the same metaphors. Someone once said to me, and I, I, I mentioned Buddha, and uh, just in a casual conversation out by the shop, they said, well, I know where Buddha is. And I says, what do you mean? And they says, well, he's burning in hell. And I says, why is he burning in hell? And she said, because he never accepted Christ. And I said, he died 400 years before Christ. He didn't have a chance to accept Christ. I don't know if he's been resurrected. Uh, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. You know, he said, don't make me a God. Of course, they did. He said, the sight of me is not your salvation. But he also, you know, if you actual people who studied Buddha just from a non-religious point of view, you know, not, not no superstition, no, you know, nirvana or anything like that, but just what he is actually telling people to do. They said that Buddha was a social reformer. Somebody else came along and made a religion out of it, made him a god, and built statues and statues and uh, and uh, you know lit candles in front of him and all that stuff. That all came later. You know, I I don't I never met the guy. I don't know, but I know a lot of the stuff he said was much like what Christ said. Do I want you to become a Buddhist? No, I don't even want you to become the brand of Christian I see out there today, posing as followers of Christ. I want you really to do what Christ said. I want you to be a doer of the word. Actually hear what he said and follow that. But you can't even do that unless that spirit of God dwelleth in you. And that spirit of God can't find room in you in the temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you. If you're listening to those other spirits that don't have the character of God, the whole character of God, those spirits, those dark spirits, those evil spirits that come in the form of spirits. 
that also come in the form of preachers and pastors. Because they may have that spirit in them. In Ecclesiastes 3.21 we see, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? We talk about the beast. You know, the mark of the beast and all this stuff. The mark of the beast is the mark of those people who have gathered together with the spirit of the beast. What is the spirit of the beast? What is the beast? You know, it's, you know, somebody, we have a lot of mountain lions out in the country where we are, and we had them pried up not too long ago, and people were actually afraid to go out because they would see, you know, I mean, these are lions wandering around. They, I mean, they decimated the deer herds. There were so many of them. It all came about because the government said you can't hunt mountain lions with dogs anymore. You know, they're afraid that they would kill out all the mountain lions. Well, they came back like gangbusters. <laughs> they were wiping out the deer by the hundreds every winter. Whole herds of deer disappeared because, and you would see five, six mountain lions hunting together. They got to pull down a deer every night. Maybe more than one. You got, you got that many deer. If they start having, I mean, uh, mountain lions, they got to eat a lot of deer. But that's what's happened today is that the beasts, the spirit of the beast is dwelling in many people. And many of them think they are Christians. But they are going about devouring people. They have not only devoured their neighbors, they are now devouring their neighbors' children and grandchildren. And they do it through the system of Corbin that is bankrupt. That's an article that we put out, and you can find it on our Facebook page at His Holy Church, you know, Facebook page, which I can't even remember. I guess it's just search His Holy Church, all one word, on Facebook, and I think you'll find it. Join up, and you'll see these articles as they come up, and recordings as they come up, and videos as they come up. We try to put them out kind of regularly. But anyway, we put out one, Not So Secure Socialism. And uh, it was about Corbin, but we, it was also about Social Security. Because Social Security and Corbin are the same thing. There's two different kinds of Social Security. There's one that operates by force, and there's one that operates by charity. The one that most people have opted for is the one that operates by force. Where someone forces you to contribute and somebody hands out what is needed takes care of their widows and orphans through the contributions that are forced from your neighbor. That's the Corbin of the Pharisees. That makes the word of God to none effect. That is evil. That is absent the spirit of Christ. That is not tending to law, judgment, mercy, or faith. It is rules. It is handwritten ordinances that you must comply with because you've applied to them for benefits. You've been baptized into their system. You have been registered into their system. And the whole world has gone after this. Now, there there are millions and millions of people who are not in such systems in the world. There are, There's probably millions of people in the United States who are not a part of that system. And I know that in some countries, 20% of the people haven't signed up for their system of Corbin. And when they work, they get to keep 100% of their wages, but they can't get jobs in a lot of places because they will only hire people who have signed up for that system of Corbin. And there is coming a time where if you're not signed up for the system of Corbin, you will not even be able to buy groceries. You won't be able to buy anything. You've got to have the mark of their system of Corbin in order to do anything. And that's 
And the Christians are are pushing this. Someone just sent me a thing on, you know, if we went to a 3% sales tax for everything purchased in the United States, everything, 3% sales tax, they would make more money than they do with income tax. And everybody would actually pay their fair share. And they said that would be the only tax you get to take home all your wages, except, of course, Social Security. Well, Social Security is that system of Corbin that makes the Word of God in that effect. There's no change in the spirit of the people. They're still going to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. They're still going to practice the impure religion of Social Security. But they think that their nation will turn around and change. Because now the tax, income tax, won't be income tax. It'll be a sales tax on everything. We'll tell that to California. used to have a 1% sales tax. And then a 2 and then a 3 And then I think in some states are up to 9% sales tax. Nothing will change because there's no spirit that has changed in the people. They will continue to devour one another. And the, and the 3% will become 4%. And the 4% will become 5%. Nothing will change. Nothing is changing today in in government because nobody is changing their heart. They are still operating from the spirit of rulers. In Ecclesiastes 10.4 it says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. But of course everybody in America have already yielded and they have gone they have become rulers of their neighbors through their democracies. And they force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare at the point of a gun. Because they've all gone whoring after the system of Corbin set up by the Pharisees. And unless that spirit in you changes, nothing will change in the world. No matter what system you set up. And we show in the article, which you can read, Again, you can go to the Facebook or you can go to hisholychurch.org and you can find it. Not so secure socialism. The spirit of that system always destroys itself. It always does. No matter where you see it rise up in history. It always destroys itself. Because it's of the evil one. It's of the beast. It's of the predator. And it is today bankrupt. Social Security is bankrupt. There is no funds for Social Security. None. None. It's absolutely nothing there. They talk about the Social Security fund has enough money to fund itself coming in on a day-to-day basis. Except for the Supreme Court has ruled over and over and over again there is no earmarking of funds. There is one treasury where thieves and robbers have come in. Now, who are those thieves and robbers who came in and robbed all the money in the treasury? Your 17 billion, trillion, it's hard to get those numbers, 17 trillion dollars in debt. So if you weigh the red against the black and the social security side of your calculations, there's nothing but red. Lots of red. You're bankrupt. You're the asset, you're the human resource, and you're the collateral for that debt. And that's the way it was prophesied it was going to be. And, and by even men at the time that they were passing these bills to create these systems, they said this was going to happen. But people didn't listen, and their preachers just kept singing in the churches. As a matter of fact, they may have sang a little bit louder, so that you did not know that you were going the ways of the Pharisees that makes the Word of God to none effect. Until you start making the Word of God to effect in your lives, 
by coming together and becoming the social welfare system of Christ, the Corbin of Christ, until you start doing that, and that will, that's a big turnaround for you. Until you start doing that, there is no salvation in this life and probably in the next because you're not really doing what Christ said. You're not loving one another. You just love yourself and you love your ideas and you love your religion. In Isaiah 4.4 it says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. When that takes place. And of course, it took place back then. You know, when the apostles came out and discipled the people by teaching them the ways of Christ, thousands, thousands of Jews followed the ways of Christ and were cast out of the system of Corbin of the Pharisees. They were cast out. Anyone who got the baptism of Christ was cast out of their system. They opted out. And they came into a system where they had to take care of one another by faith, hope, and charity. Exactly what John had been saying. Exactly what Christ has been saying. But not what you guys have been doing. When you do that, you will have a chance. A new spirit will be standing before you. A new army will back you up. And until then, you aren't going to be saved. Now, you can be saved halfway. If you turn around and go that way. Cause, and that's what it will take. And Christ will come out to meet you. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God and we're talking about the Spirit of God and the Spirit that is not of God. And that's really a shocker for most people to even pursue at all. Because most people have not been pursuing the Spirit of God. They've been pursuing spirits that are less than God. All spirits. Evil spirits. How do they get into it? They get into us mostly by trauma. And the trauma of sin. 
And it may not even be our sin. It's a trauma of sin against us, against our being. We come into the world in a nature of sin, in a nature of imperfection. Sin, you know, we often think sin, they say, well, what sin could a little baby commit? Well, the sin is not the event. You know, we, we commit adultery. We commit fornication. We murder. We we rob. We steal. We say, oh, he stole. Therefore, he sinned. Sin is turning our back on God. That's what sin is. It Sin is not going to the light. Sin is eating of the tree of knowledge. Thinking you can decide things for yourself. You can figure it out for yourself. That's sin. What that brings about is adultery and murder and stealing and coveting. All those things come about because you're not eating of the tree of life. You're not receiving the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you start doing these things. And then you start doing other things. You know, you start... You know, men laying with men and women perverting the natural use of their bodies for some other purpose. And you are given over to a reprobate mind. And you start thinking, oh, I can do this or I can do that and that's okay. And then you start combing through the Bible and saying, well, let's see, I can do this because they did that in the Bible once. No matter the fact that it destroyed lives and ruined things and made a mess of everything. But they did it in the Bible, so I should be able to do it. And you start twisting the words of the Bible to fit what you want to believe is true. But what you want to believe is true is not even your idea anymore. Because you have little evil spirits whispering in your ears. Because you have people that told you certain things. And they... What happens is like you, you're traumatized. You're you're molested as a child. You're brutalized by the world in some form or another. By someone that should have loved you, should have cared about you, naturally. You know, like husband and wife and mother and father. They they come together bound by love. That's the binding. That's when your holy matrimony is when you're bound by love alone. Not by contract, but by love alone. And when I say love, I mean the love of God. The love that God has that gave life. The love that you have for one another is a life-giving love. You see, there's other loves out there that are are not givers of life, but devourers of life. You know, the love, like I've said before, of a cat for birds. You know, my cat loves birds. He just loves them. He just eats him up. And he, he better stay out of the pigeon cage. <laughs> but, but the fact is, is by his nature, he loves birds. But he loves them in a way that he devours them. And a lot of people love each other, but they love in a way that they devour one another. They actually draw one another into an evil state of weakness and helplessness. And they destroy each other with their love. They they either are giving license to evil or they are the evil themselves and they they call upon the other to give them license. They seduce. They mesmerize. They tempt. 
They weaken. They suck the life out of others because they're beasts. They have, but is that individual a beast or is a beast spirit living in that individual? Influencing that in, or living, let's put it this way, living through that individual. You see, that's what evil wants dominion in this world. It's from the beginning. Evil was cast out of heaven. They want dominion in this world, but they have, God has given dominion in this world to man, to Adam, to the Adama that he breathed life into. They have been given dominion. And they've come down from generation to generation. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. So what evil wants to do is destroy the generations of men. And that's what it does every day. By destroying the family. It turns the family into something that the family was never meant to be. They pervert the natural use of the woman. To gratify the man. Not to give life. And and this is pervasive throughout societies all over the world. Because men are in a fallen state. But women have also fallen. Because they did not admit the truth. And they allowed this to take place. But when they allow that to take place. They allow the man to become more of a brute. And of course he can't be too obvious. So he... He paints little niceties on his life. But he is actually devouring the woman. He's devouring his own children. He is delivering his own children onto the altars of Moloch. Because he is giving them over to the same spirit that his parents gave him over to. And he is the kingdom of hell from generation to generation. The kingdom of Satan from generation to generation. Because he passes on to the next generation that which he has become. And how has he become that? You are created in the image of God. you got a liver. Does God have a liver? You have a kidney. Does God have a kidney? What is a liver? It's a filter. It actually produces things and filters things out and, and feeds parts of your body to create more blood cells which are born in your bones. And the kidney is also a filter, but it's a different kind of filter. And the stomach actually filters some things out and the skin filters some things out. Some things go out in the drought, as Christ says. Does God have all that going on in Him? I mean, we were made in His image. How, how close is an image is it? But God is spirit. He wouldn't need all those things, but those things are reflections of what you are in the Spirit. Which is why, in the Hebrew language, to honor thy father and thy mother, the word honor there is the same word for liver. To give control of a sacrifice to someone else for the purposes of God is called kidney, reins of control. Control something you control something with is called the kidney. That's why it was saying in the previous program that we had on this subject, it talks about the spirit of man as a candle of the Lord searching all the inward 
parts of the belly. And of course, we can go into a study as to what that word belly actually means in the Hebrew. And the Hebrew is really interesting to go into, but we just don't have time for it. So the point is, is that everything in your body is related to your spiritual existence. And when you deny the truth about the fact that you hated your mother because she abandoned you, and you feel guilty about hating your mother because she abandoned you or neglected you or allowed somebody else to injure you or molest you. When you hate your mother because of that, you feel guilty because you don't want to hate your mother. And so you have to put all that hate and anger and judgment. Judge not, lest you be judged. Why? Because when you judge with hate, I'm not saying discern. I mean, it's one thing to see, you know, my mom didn't do right. But it's another thing to hate, to judge, as if you are God. And that makes you feel guilty. So you don't want that. That's painful. The whole thing is painful. Everything you, that happened was painful. So you put that away in a part of your mind, in a part of your body. You just don't look at that anymore. You're not going in that room. You put that in your closet, somewhere in the temple of the Holy Spirit, somewhere in your body. You put that in a closet, in a part of your mind, in a part of your being. And you don't look at that anymore because you don't want to see that. It hurts too much. It makes you weep if you even get near it. It makes you weep like a child. So you don't want to go near that. So that becomes a little compartment inside your being that you don't look. You don't bring the candle of God, the candle of the Lord. You don't bring light in that room because in order to do that, you have to see the truth about what you've done. You're a part in the wickedness and evil of the whole world. You're a part in your life. So you won't look at that. You won't go searching in the belly for that room. You'll skip that room. You'll just walk right by that room. You're not going in there. And evil lives in there. Speaks in there. Whispers in there. Influences your mind and your thought. And he can bring a thought up in your mind that is absolutely contrary to what you believe over here and you will not even see that you have conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. And this will, and as you go about in life, it will begin to bring in cancers and everything else out of that same dark area. You will have, you know, if you are eating up people, it will come out in the organs of your body that are a part of eating up, you know, colon cancer, stomach cancer, mouth cancer. You will rot away inside because you're not bringing life into that part of your existence. Because you won't admit you've become the beast. Because the spirit of the beast dwelleth in you, not the spirit of God. Now somewhere in there, you exist as an individual. And this, there could be huge different degrees of this. I mean, really, pretty decent people can have a degree of some area of their life they don't want to see the truth. And you have to repent of that and start seeing the truth. And that's really what meditation was all about in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to go and see the truth. Now, there's all kinds of Eastern meditations out there and there's 
modern meditations and there's exercises, transcendentalism and endless repetition. I mean, when people say the rosary, that's the, that's the mantra type repetition. But that's not that's not taking the candle of God into your heart. That's actually noise. I mean, you listen to country western, you listen to you listen to gospel. And you play that noise in your head over and over again. Why? And that's the answer. Is in the why. Why do you do it? It's not it's not wrong to listen to music. It's not wrong to be in a silent place. It's not wrong to contemplate evil and righteousness in your own life. And unrighteousness. It's not wrong. What's wrong is the intent. And when your intent is to Reject God. It doesn't matter what prayers you say or what meditation you do or what exercise you do or what good works you do. It's not going to do you any good. But when you want to accept God, real God, the whole light, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, then a different process begins to take place. You begin to be filled. But you will come face to face with Aspects of your own being, your own selfishness, your own vanity, your own spirit of jealousy, your own spirit of envy, your own spirit of hate and judgment. And see, things like coming together in a congregation of record and starting to forgive one another, the wedding feast brings both good and bad to it. We are told to go out and bring in both good and bad into our congregation. Should we bring even bad people into our congregation if that's where the wedding feast is taking place? Yes. But you will challenge those bad to become good if you are truly becoming good. If you're putting on your righteousness by rulemaking, by setting up patterns of behavior that everybody has to follow, And, of course, there are patterns of behavior everybody should follow. But they have to follow them because they are led by the Holy Spirit. Not because they put it on from the outside like whited sepulchers tried. Where we're going to say, okay, it's good to take care of the poor, so you have to take care of the poor. You have to give in. Now, we're, you know, in a congregation of record, we don't have a police force to force you to contribute. We can do it through other ways. We can, like, reject you. We can give you the dirty look. We can uh, we can make you feel bad that you're not doing it. And then you'll do it so that we don't make you feel bad. And the whole spirit of the world has already begun to happen in our congregation. But when we really move from the spirit of Christ, the light exposes it. That's all we have to do is bring the light in the room. You don't even need bring in words because it is a spiritual salvation that you're bringing to your congregation. Almost nobody can do that. But those who are beginning to learn, they may become part of that bride of Christ. There's a lot of people who think they're a part of the bride of Christ now. And like I said, that many of the people who think they're a part of the bride of Christ now aren't even coming to the wedding feast. They're not putting on the wedding garments. And what happens when he says you bring both good and bad to the wedding feast? Because the ones that should come aren't coming. Those are all the people in the Orthodox religions and churches who aren't doing anything that Christ said. But they believe 
But the ones who actually come and start changing, start moving according to the spirit of righteousness, because the spirit of burning faith is actually growing in them. In Isaiah 4, 4, it says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Isaiah 11, 2, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord, the respect of the Lord the love of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Really, the ways of the Lord. Then, the idea of taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity is just automatic. It's just natural. You don't even... It's not even difficult to give. It's difficult not to give. And the giving will be done in a righteous way. But if the Lord is not in you, then you have all this conflict. And that conflict is coming from those places in your body, in your spirit, in your mind. That you will not go. You will not look at. And you will see the fruits of that. You will see, you know, this is why marriages are breaking down. All over. This is what was happening in Rome. Almost total cessation of marriage. And Rome was a big one for one man, one wife. At one time in their history. By the time they got to the end, men were having multiple wives at different times, one after another. And then they got to the point where they didn't even bother getting married. They just started having relations. And that was because a spirit of the beast had found a home in them because they would not bring the light of truth, of Christ, of righteousness into every aspect of their being. And so they weren't bearing fruit anymore. Orphans were rampant in Rome. Children were not. It used to have a custom when a child was born. He was brought to his father and laid at the feet of his father. And the father picked him up. If the father didn't pick him up, the child had no inheritance from that father. But neither did what the child inherit belong to the father. Because the father did not pick up the child. He did not say son, daughter. And therefore, it was not his. And the child had no inheritance, but neither did the father have any right to the child. Or what was the child's? That is long range. The kingdom of heaven is from generation to generation, and a father does not respect his generation. Where does that come from? That comes from the spirit of Satan. Satan doesn't want you. To carry the kingdom from generation to generation. He wants to break those generations. He wants to divide fathers from sons. And fathers from daughters. And, and mothers from husbands. And, and he wants to divide you all. And he's doing a really good job. That's why divorce is so rampant in the world today. Is because fathers haven't been fathers and mothers haven't been mothers. They don't even know what that means. And they don't know because they have let in the spirit of evil into their hearts because they will not forgive those who brutalize them, who traumatize them. Because they would rather judge them. And they use everything from the Bhagavad Gita to the Bible itself to justify themselves. 
Even atheism has become a religion of justification. Everybody wants to justify themselves. Who wants to be righteous? Who wants to admit they have become the beast? Everybody's worried about the beast. The system of the beast. The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the lack of faith. And the lack of faith is your unwillingness to take a candle into your belly and see what's living there. Into your heart and see what is speaking to you. What is leading you down a road of unrighteousness. A path of iniquity. A way of death. You have to repent of that and and be willing to turn back to the light and see yourselves as you really are. The problem in the world today is not government. It's the way in which you govern yourselves. You are not coming together because you love one another. You don't even love yourselves in many cases. Because if you truly loved yourself, you would see the truth about yourself so you could fix it. I mean, if you had a knife sticking in your leg, you know, you ever hit your thumb with a hammer and you didn't want to look at it because you knew that thumbnail was blistering up underneath and it was going to be painful and you didn't want to see it. But you have to look. Eventually you have to look. And see it. And feel it. And suffer with it. You can't hide forever. And, you know, people hide behind the Bible more than almost any other book in the world. They hide behind their private interpretation of the Bible. Is the Bible evil? No. Is the Bible good? No. It is not. You are either good or evil. The Bible is making no choices of right and wrong. The Bible is a book. It's a gift. It can be a thing that works great good in your life when you look at it with the eyes of Christ. But if you look at it with the eyes of the beast, you can use it to justify all kinds of wickedness. Is it the Bible's fault? No, it's your fault. It's the same with governments. You can use those governments for good or you can use those governments for evil. God is doing it. God told you that if you chose to elect somebody who could exercise authority, a king, a ruler, president, prime minister, it doesn't matter, that that was a rejection of God. But he told you if you do that, you should have this constitution that you write down that says that he will do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. You failed to do that. Someone was saying, oh, we should have a national oath that everybody has to take to uphold the Constitution. They have no idea what they're talking about. They are completely ignorant. You have to take an oath. Jesus says, stop the taking of oaths. Anything more than yes for yes and no for no cometh of evil. By taking that oath today under the conditions that U.S. citizens live, which, of course, it's already assumed that they have taken that oath. He doesn't know that. They are saying that we will abide by the contracts, constructive contracts that we have made. And, of course, you should, and you are going to be held to it anyway. 
He doesn't even know what he's saying, but an extra oath to that seals you in forever. There is no escape. You will go down with the ship. You are bound and chained to it by the words of your own mouth. And what binds you today, people, you know, they want to uphold the Constitution. The Constitution says the government cannot impair your power to contract. That's why you're dragged into administrative courts because of your contracts. And they say, oh, well, we didn't have full disclosure. Well, either you're a thief, you're a covetous thief, or you have made a contract. Either way, they got you. And you are bound because you have made covenants with them. You said, if you give me free education, I will serve you. If you give me health care, I will serve you. If you, if you protect, take from my neighbor, you can also take from me. And this is the deal. You've made the deal. You are bound in a system of iniquity. A bestial system that devours your neighbor and your neighbor's children and eats the flesh of their arm, as it talks about in the Bible. You have already done that. And now you want to take an oath that you will never leave it? You will bind yourself forever in that? And of course, that's probably coming. And you will take this oath or they will kill you. But you've already killed your relationship with God because you've gone whoring after these other gods. That you say, oh dear God in government, will you take from my neighbor so that I will be secure? And you think that's not covetousness? It is. You, you have, you're not living by faith, you're not living by hope, and you're not living by charity. As I said in Isaiah 11:2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 19.3 it says, And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof. What is Egypt? Egypt is the word for bondage. You have bound your neighbor in a system where they have to pay for your education, your health care, your welfare. And that spirit of bondage that has been your salvation, your security, will fail. Therefore, and they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers and to them that have familiar spirits and to the wizards. And that's exactly what's happening. And those familiar spirits are often living and dwelling and speaking through those that have been traumatized by the wickedness of the world or evil itself through their parents, through their guardians, through their whatever. And now, it is when they speak, it is that familiar spirit that speaketh through them. And they charm you, and they deceive you, and they lull you, and they often wear pastor's clothes and garments. And they hold the Bible up, and they say, Oh, believe! Or, what does this mean? Or I'm, I'm looking for this, but they are not looking. Until they look within their own belly, within their own being, within themselves, and clean out their own house. 
They will speak with the mouth of familiar spirits and wizards. And they will charm people into sin. They need to repent. I rebuke those spirits. Shut up. Turn around. Seek the kingdom of God that is within you. Clean out your own house. Before you are devoured by the beast that lives within you. We'll be back. The keys of the kingdom. talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about the unholy spirits of the world and the unholy spirits of the world are all those spirits that want dominion over the world and they get that by getting dominion over you and they get that by you making covenants with them and they you make covenants with them because you have a covetous nature in your heart that desires the benefits of Babylon. What is Babylon? It's Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. And so we create governments and we call those governments benefactors. And we ask those governments to exercise authority one over the other so that we will be secure. Or we operate according to the Spirit of Christ and we live by faith and we live by hope and we live by love of one another which means we cannot forsake the gathering together. We need to gather together and do this. But we are babes in the kingdom. We do not know the ways of the kingdom because brutish pastors have said, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. You're just supposed to come here and tithe and then we will make you feel good about all the wickedness and evil that your government does. Or that, that you do. And, and they'll do that lots of ways. They'll say, oh, look over here how bad these people are. How wicked these people are. You're not that wicked. You're good. Surely you will not die because you believe. They have one vain philosophy after another. But they are bearing the fruit of bondage. And as we read in Isaiah 19.3, that the spirit of Egypt shall fail. Just as Jesus said, The unrighteous mammon shall fail. What is the unrighteous mammon? It is the spirit of Egypt. It is the entrusted wealth where you are part of the treasury. Where you are a resource. Where you are merchandise. Stacked up in the treasury of the world. Because you failed to take care of the needy of society. By faith, hope, and charity. Many of you have failed to even take care of your own families. And provide for your families. And you justify this in all sorts of ways. We need to stop that. We need to turn around from that. We need to see it. We need to turn away from that and turn towards the light. And become givers of life. And stop listening to the beast within us that says it's okay to devour one another. To betray one another. To lie to one another. To use one another for our own selfish purposes. We have to be willing to fast from that and stand in the righteousness of Christ. 
Not put it on from outside with rules and regulations and ideas and stuff like that, but actually be what Christ said to be. To be that doer. Because you love doing that. You can't do anything else but that. In Isaiah 28, 6, it says, And the spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment for and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. We become the spirit of judgment when Christ lives in us. We don't have to do anything. We don't judge. We let Christ judge. We just walk into the room. We just be in the presence of Christ and where we go, we bring light. And evil does not like that light. And it will mumble and grumble and growl and and do all sorts of things. But each of us needs to become a brighter and brighter light. And you cannot do that unless you see the darkness of your own heart. Isaiah 29.10 The Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath been covered. That's what's happened. This is why you have all those pastors that do not know the weightier matters. But it's because you really have, deep down in your heart, rejected God as judge. You've wanted to judge yourself. You wanted to rule yourself. And you didn't want to accept the truth. And you went whoring after the lie. And anyone who would confirm the lie in you. In any way that you can confirm the lie in you and justify yourself. Instead of become righteous. Isaiah 47. The grass withereth, the flowers fadeth. Because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. They are not trees. They are grass. And they will wither And they will be burned up by the billions because they didn't prepare or because they would not let the Holy Spirit into their lives. They would not repent. They would not sacrifice their... Oh, they would... You know, there are... We've seen the shows... What was it? uh, I can't even remember the name of the show. (laughs) But you know the the, the is after the book the Holy Grail and all this stuff, um, the Da Vinci codes, and uh, I can't even, now that I finally figured out the name I forgot where I was going. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, you know we're we're so deceived. We're so many oh the 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 monk in there who was uh, you know punishing himself and whipping himself. And it was, uh, what is that, sadomasochism. He actually liked, you know, punishing himself and whipping himself and making himself bleed and making himself sore. And make, you know, because this is a way to justify. That pain was better than the pain that dwelled in his own heart. The wickedness that dwelled in his own heart. He would kill. He would murder. He would do anything. For the spirit that dwelled in him and spoke to him through the other spirits that were dwelled in those around about him. And the pain helped 
was he would rather have that pain than see. You know, it's like like I say, turning up the radio, turning up, uh, you know, taking drugs. Pain is a drug. You see, everything is about either you're going to the light or you're escaping from the light. And so you can be a sadomasochist. You could be a masochist. You could cause pain to others. You know, cutters, they cut themselves and they feel life even though they feel it draining from them. Because that is better to them than seeing the truth about themselves. That pain is easier than facing the darkness in your own hearts. The wickedness that has gotten in there because you wanted to judge others. This is not an intellectual journey. This is a spiritual journey. Isaiah forty thirteen. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? Do you teach what you've been taught? Then what you teach is the fruit of the Spirit that you are listening to. What you do is the Spirit of that's is the, is the life of that Spirit and the death of the Spirit that you are listening to. God is a giver of life, not of death. Isaiah 57:15. For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to receive the spirit of humble and to receive the heart of the contrite ones. You need to humble yourself and realize you can't figure this out. You cannot pluck the tree of knowledge clean and know the truth. No matter how much you take from that tree, you must submit yourself to the tree of life with repentance, and then God will fill you in His time. You must wait upon Him. Isaiah fifty nine nineteen. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Do you want to be that standard? Then you must win the battle in your own heart. And you cannot win it with your strength. You're not that tough. You can win it when you are the humble. To revive the spirit of the humble, that's what Christ is seeking to do. Isaiah 60, and, that, and by the way, to be humble, nothing more humbling than to be of service. To wash the feet of those who you have trampled upon. To serve those who you have neglected. Isaiah 61.1 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek and hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. 
The bars that bind us is our unforgiveness, our lack of mercy, our lack of love and patience for others, our self-serving instead of serving others. Christ did not come to serve himself or to be serviced by others. Christ came to serve others. And that humility and that contrite spirit of righteousness. Isaiah 61.3 went on to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes and oil for jo- of joy for mourning, garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified are you a tree of righteousness or are you just a big stump standing upright with no leaves upon you the spirit of God is within you But you must look to that spirit of God and not the spirit of wickedness that repeateth sin generation upon generation. We go down to Isaiah 63.14 The beast goeth down into the valley of the spirit of the Lord caused him to rest so didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. But as the beast goeth down, death cometh, rot cometh, unrighteousness cometh, and unrighteousness begets unrighteousness. Only the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of God's righteousness, giveth life. Jeremiah 51.11 Make bright the arrow, gather the shields, The Lord hath raised up the spirit of the kings of Medes, for his device is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Are you the temple of the Lord? Then you must clean out the evil spirits that are within you. You must face them with the light, the candle that God has given you. And you must walk out the remainder of your days in the righteousness of God. Ezekiel one twenty. Whithersoever the Spirit was to go, they went thither. Was their Spirit to go? And the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. This is part of it goes on in verse 21. When when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up upon the earth, the wheels were lifted up 
over against them. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now anybody who reads this whole thing in Ezekiel 1, 20 and 21, you will start to see that it sounds like he's talking about, you know, he talks about a wing in the front, and uh, two wings in the front and two wings in the back. And when you look up in the tail, you see this fire and there's a crystalline dome on top with a man inside and it rolls around on these wheels. And when it goes up in the air, the wheels go up into its belly. And this is what Ezekiel is seeing 600 years before Christ, where he was taken to a place physically and saw these spirits. And these spirits were mechanisms, machinery, that did the bidding of the spirits of the man who was in the crystal. And that man did the the, the bidding of the spirit of he whom he was bound to. And he was able to make fire come down from heaven in the sight of man. And we see war all about us in these ways with, with these lions that can belch fire and, and brimstone out uh, with the sound of roaring. And it sounds like they're talking about tanks and artillery and jet aircraft. With the sound of many waters as it goes by. I mean, you read it. Go read it. Ezekiel one twenty, the whole thing even before verse 20. And this is a prophecy of something he saw. And it fits remarkably well with what we see every day. But the key is not the fact that he sees the mechanism. It's the spirit that is operating through those mechanisms. We have unbelievable weapons today that are being made all over the world and and sent all over the world. I talked to somebody who makes bullets the other day. I happened to just run into him in the store. He worked for Nosler. And he told about the millions and millions of bullets they they make every day and are shipped all over the world. And we know that there are governments who have contracts to suddenly buy up all the bullets. I just actually heard this morning that a neighbor lady who went to buy bullets for her rifle that she shoots coyotes with could not find the caliber of bullet that she needs anywhere in any of the stores that normally had stocks and socks of them. War is coming because the beast is ruling in the world. Millions will die. There is only one defense. And that is the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Because when the Spirit of God dwells in you, they cannot harm you. Even if they kill you, they will not harm you. And you will simply fight evil in another dimension. Because you will be with God and you will live on in His righteousness. And planes will drop from the sky if they come against you. And you need no mechanism because you do not fight the mechanism. You stand against the spirit of evil that dwelleth in the crystalline dome on top of the mechanism. You, like Gideon's army, will open up the vases of your own hearts and it will confound them and confuse them. The battle is already begun. It is a spiritual war. If you are to be one of the soldiers of Christ, you must win the battle within your own hearts. And you do, cannot, you do not have the power to win that battle. Only Christ does. And you must take His candle, His light, into the dark recesses of your temple and clean it out. Christ warns when He cast out the demons, unless you change, worse demons will come in and make a home in you than already are there. The world you see around you, the collapsing of systems, the collapsing of economies, is the result of the Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
not the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is what we see as the product of that Spirit that dwelleth within the people. Most of the people will not receive the Holy Spirit. Those that should come to the wedding feast are not coming. So God says, take anybody who will come. The good and the bad. And gather together at the wedding feast. Each of you at your own core, at your own congregation of record, your own table within the wedding feast. And pray that God dwell in you. For when the Master cometh in you, He will bind up the wicked and throw them back out into the utter darkness. And the evil of the world will be no match for the light that dwelleth in you. You need other people to do this with because you need other people to forgive, including the bad that come to your table and the wicked that come to your table. You need to forgive them so that ye may be forgiven. When you give in righteousness, you strengthen the poor. No matter, you can give the same dollar to the poor, the same food, the same bowl of soup to the poor, but give it in unrighteousness and you will weaken them. But if you give it in the Spirit of Christ in righteousness, and the problem, you will strengthen him or you will drive him away. Because he will be bound by your righteousness. It's not your righteousness, though. Again, I have to correct myself, but the righteousness of Christ dwelling in you. But it becomes yours because Christ wants to give it to you. He wants you to have dominion back. You don't have dominion now. Others have dominion over you and within you. And in Ezekiel ten seventeen, he says, When they stood, these stood. And when they were lifted up, these lifted up themselves also with the spirit of the living creatures was in them. The spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord. And thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that are that come into your mind, every one of them. In our minds there are things that are coming that are not of God, but if you turn around and repent, the light of God will see those things and expose them and drive them out. You need to meditate upon the Lord. You need to be still and let him come into your heart and into your mind. Daniel faced evil, but at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belthazar, according to the name of my God, small g, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, again small g. And before him I told the dream saying. This whole thing, they talk about these other spirits speaking to you in dreams. Now we know that God sometimes speaks to, like Joseph, you know, the, the, the husband to Mary, in a dream for righteousness. People talk about, you know, listening to angels today and people say, oh, new age. You know, they, they had their magicians and astrologers and uh, amongst the Chaldeans and soothsayers. But there are those that are of Christ, too. There are angels that we should see. And But how do you know the difference between the two? 
Are they binding you up or setting you free? Are they setting you free to do righteousness or are they setting you free to do unrighteousness? You read Daniel 5.11 through 5.14 and you'll see how these there's always this war in the spirit between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. And you're going to need to put on that full armor of the kingdom of God and that means that you're going to have to look within your own heart and clean out that temple to make yourself a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. My people ask counsel, and that counsel must be of Christ. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. And may the Holy Spirit dwell within you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.